Take your uh, Bible. Take your Bible to Psalm. Book of Psalms. Um, the Psalms have kept me going through many dangers, toils, and snares that I have already come. And grace will lead me say, uh, home thus far as grace is, well, whatever. Grace will lead me home. And, and the Psalms bring you home. The book of Psalms will bring you home. Oh, yeah, we got to make an announcement. That's right. Good. Thank you for that. Before I start on this, we have on Saturday uh, Disciples for Cuba. Remember, you signed up for that. You're helping clerically or with muscle. Saturday at what time? Eight o'clock? I'll be there at nine. And not eight o'clock. No, I'll be there. Eight o'clock, weather permitting. We'll have donuts, coffee, and some things for you. And so you don't have to eat breakfast if you don't want to. Just come on and we'll help have because those people in Cuba are desperately in need of some of that stuff. I hope they can get it. Oh God will open that door. My heart goes out for Cuba because for since 1960, those people have been under oppression. What bothers me about all that is we're no better than they are. God is not a respecter of persons. And would to God he had not put us under 60, 70 years of oppression. It could happen. Once those regimes get in power, they don't like to give it up. And so may God save us this Tuesday from oppression. May it be so. I want to read the first 10 verses of uh, Psalm 34. That's not what I'm going to preach on, but I'm just going to read it because it's too good not to read. 34, 1 through 10, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Will magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. That should be just our daily practice, man. I get up a lot at night, and I thank God in a way for it, because I can praise God all that much more. I sought the Lord, and He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. And David, he had a lot of fears, by the way. And they looked unto him and were lightened. Their faces were not ashamed. You may have some fears, apprehensions facing Tuesday, but you just keep trusting in God. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. How many? Uh-huh. There'll not be one Christian. When, it, when, the, when the dust settles, there'll not be one Christian that won't agree with that. And they're eventually going to say all their troubles on the other side. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. I love that. I, I pray that. I talk about that. The angel of the Lord. He's encamped round about. Remember, the, remember Dotham, Elijah, Dotham, Syria came to get Elijah and encamped round about the hills, all the chariots of Syria surround the city of Dothan. And remember Elijah came out there and his servant says, Oh, what are we going to do? They that are against us are greater than us. You may say that today. And Elijah in his wisdom said, Lord, open his eyes. Let him see it. And he looked on. Surrounding 
The hills of Dothan were chariots of fire. And Elijah said, They that be with us are greater than they that be with them. And that's true today. And God raised man because so, so we can see it like that old servant. Woo. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. Young lions do lack and suffer hunger. But they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Now, I'm not going to preach on that. I preached six different sermons on this passage, and you can see why. Each one of those verses is worthy of a whole sermon. But today I'm going to talk about the first part of this psalm. The first part of the psalm is considered a hymn. The second half, from 11 uh, down through the, the, the last verse, 22 I believe it is, is, is considered a sermon. David's beginning to preach. The first 10, he just praises God. It's a hymn, and he talks about God and the things he's done for him. The last half of this psalm, he starts doing some application. What's the difference between teaching and preaching? Teaching is information, and it'll help you. Preaching is information that'll change you. A preacher doesn't just bring information to the table. He brings information, then he says, now eat it and be better. Be changed. Let this change you. That's why we have invitations. Because it'll change you. Is that okay over there? Okay. If I start sweating, I'm going over there and turning it down. Okay. We'll be, you know, like, you know, you'll be over there, I'll be over there, you'll be over there, I'll be over there. They'll throw me out, you'll stay. Acts chapter 13, verse 22, talks about the writer of the psalm, the Holy Spirit used, it was David. David was called in, in the New Testament and Old Testament. David is called a man after God's own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. That was what God said about him. Being a man after God's own heart allowed David to know some intimate things about God that he reveals in this psalm, especially in the last half of it. It opened the doors for insights and truths about God that few people know. So as we go through Psalm uh, 34, these truths about God hopefully will help you today. But it may not help you today unless you fit into the requirements that God has for those that can receive something from Him. If you have ears to hear, you remember in the Bible where it says, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. That's in the book of Revelation. But in Luke chapter 8, verse 8, Jesus said the same thing. He talked, you remember as you go through the Gospels, he's preaching to all these people. Man, we're talking about God manifesting the flesh, preaching, the best preaching you ever get. And they're missing it. That's because they didn't have ears to hear. They did not have ears to hear what the Spirit said. So, you can be in church your whole, you could be in church for a whole life and miss what God has for you if you don't have the right ears. How do you get the right ears? Well, number one, Proverbs 8, 17 says, are you seeking God? The Bible says if you seek Him, you'll find Him if you seek Him with all your heart. If you're here to please mom and dad or to, to do your duty before God and say, I checked in on Sunday, now I'm going to do my own thing the rest of the week, probably not going to get anything out of what's preached. 
You have to be humble before Him. The Bible says He resists the proud, He gives grace to the humble. So if you're of a humble heart, you believe you need God, and you need what God has for you, then God will give you something. If you come here saying in disbelief and with a hard heart, like I really don't need this, but I'm here for my girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife, or any other reason, like that, you'll, you'll sit here and it'll run off of you like water runs off a duck. You'll miss it. If you're trusting God today and wanting something from Him, in other words, you come hungering and thirsting for righteousness, you'll receive it. That's what Jesus said. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you receive it. So if you're here this morning hungering and thirsting, saying, I want something from God, I need something from God, then very likely God will give you something also. And then these truths will flow out from Psalm 34 to you. It'll be like manna. be like walking out like the children of Israel did. And on the ground there was manna and they picked it up. The Bible said it was called angel's food. It's like Krispy Kreme donuts hot off, of the, off the conveyor. You'll just be able to pick one up and say, Ooh, I went to Gospel Baptist. I had me some hot Krispy Kreme spiritual donuts. They add no weight, they have no calories, they have no cholesterol, but they have the taste of that, when you put that hot Krispy Kreme in your mouth, it just melts in your mouth, not in your hand. Woo! This first part, this first three verses of this sound burst out like a praise from God, as I mentioned. Then it lists the great things God's done for him. In verse 4, it relieved his fears. In verse 5, it lightened his anxieties. In verse 6, it answered his prayers. Verse 7, it helped him. Verse 8 through 10, and it preserved him. And so we look at the hymn at the beginning, and boy, it just fires you up. And then you settle into verse 11 through 22, the, the, the application part of what the whole thing's about. Point number one of this sermon of David is, what is the fear of the Lord? Look in verse 11. Come, you children, hearken unto me, and I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. This is mentioned a lot in Scripture, and to be honest with you, as a young Christian, I was confused about it. I used to fear. Fear is not talked about in a good way in our language. Fear is usually something you want to get over. Fear is usually something that's detrimental to you. Fear keeps you from good things. If you fear water, you never go out and fish, you never dive, you, you, you just miss so much because you fear water. If you fear, if you fear spiders, you don't go anywhere. If you fear flying, you don't get in a plane and fly, and you miss out some of the beauties of quick transportation. Two hours from here to Chicago, two hours from here to Detroit, five hours from here to Las Vegas, four hours from here to Bismarck. Six hours from here to L.A. It's a five-day drive. Hard drive going to L.A. If, you don't, if you're fear of flying, I'm sorry. I feel bad for you. you got to die some way. Might as well die in a plane. The fear will keep you away. But the fear of the Lord is talked in a positive way all through the Bible. The fear of the Lord. Some people have said it means to respect the Lord or to have reverence for the Lord, uh, to have an awesome understanding of who you're dealing with. <clears throat> Some have wanted to define it that way. 
He says here kind of what it is. He says, I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. Okay, let's te teach me. Teach me, David. What is a man, what is he, what man is he that desires life and loveth many days that he may see good? Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I got a funny suspicion that in this group and in the group listening to me over the internet and stuff, that most of you want a good life. You want to have a good life that you live many days. Now, if you don't have a good life, you may not want to live many days. I believe you can get so miserable that you want to die. I, I've seen it happen over and over again. But if you want to have, have a good life, you, you usually like to live many days. I remember an old Sikora, old, old, old brother Sikora, he'd say, I went, I went to his 80th birthday party. And he says, I'm going to live to 100. I don't think he does anymore. Misery overtakes you as you get older. Pain becomes your fellow companion. Sleep flees away from you. And pretty soon you get like death. You say like Job, the day of a man's death is better than a man's birth. Ooh. We get birthday parties. We, as a born-again believer, when you die, it's a good day. Ooh. I like that. They're trying to get me. They're trying to fall off, break my neck right here. A born-again Christian with the promises of heaven. When we die, it's a day of transformation. It's a day of welcome. Our Father's been looking down the road for us to come down that road for a while. And He can hug us and welcome us home. He's prepared a place for us. i got to quit. Whew. That's where, I know you probably scratch your head where Job says the day of a man's death is better than the day of a man's birth. But you just haven't lived old enough yet. But if you're living a good life, you want to live a lot of years. Oh, I want to live a lot of years, but I want to live it good. And so David reasons here. He says, who out there desires life? You like life. You want life. And that's a natural thing. It's a, it's a deep thing. And you love many days that you may see good. So you want good to happen. So here's how you do it. Verse 13, 14. Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Now, out of all the things that God could have said through the Holy Spirit and David here, he talks about your mouth. James said the mouth is a little fire that kindleth woo, a problem. James, the book of James says nobody can control the tongue. It's, it's, in fact, he says it's, it's set on fire from hell. So what are we going to do? We've got to go to God to have help. You need God to control your tongue. I need God to control my tongue. When I get in the flesh and not walking in the Spirit, I say really bad things that are hurtful things and don't help people. And so I want to have, I want to keep my tongue from evil, my lips from speaking guile. Guile is just like, yeah. Depart from evil and do good and seek peace and pursue it. Not everyone wants to know God, but fewer even know who God is. The fear of the Lord is who God is. So what is the fear of the Lord? It is knowing who God is. And the more you know who God is, the more you respect Him, the more awe you have for Him, and the more obedience you have for Him, and the more compliance you have for Him. You with me? That all goes together. 
The fear of the Lord is knowing who God really is. And then having because of who, think about this. He made everything it is. He invented everything that you see, visible and invisible. He is a great God. And the more I understand that, the more that penetrates my darkness, the more I get compliant. The more I get praising, the more praise I give him, the more honor I give him, because he deserves it all. I looked up 20 attributes of God. Who is God? The fear of the Lord is to know who God is. I believe David understood these. God is all beauty. There's no beauty that God, real beauty, and I'm not talking about sensual, wicked, satanic beauty. I'm talking about Real beauty, the beauty that's pure, the beauty that, that doesn't make you regret, the beauty that doesn't give you a hangover, the beauty that doesn't give you a, a guilt trip when you're done with it, the, the beauty of a sunset, the beauty of a rose, the beauty of a hummingbird, the beauty of an eagle, the beauty of, of nature, the beauty of fish, the beauty of, the beauty of, of even bugs. God is all beauty. So wherever he is, I want to be there. I want to be where God's at, because where he's at is all beauty. Real beauty, pure beauty. God is all that is good. God is merciful. He is, he don't, he, remember, these attributes are not what, they're not necessarily what he does, they're who he is. I want you to get that. We may commit merciful things. We may do merciful things, but we're not mercy in essence. But what God is, He is mercy, and consequently mercy flows from Him. He is truth. He is justice. These are what the Bible says about Him. God is holy. That means He's anti-evil, anti-sin. God is all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing. God is immutable. He never changes. You can rely on Him. You can set your watch on it. You can take it to the bank. God is good. God is faithful. Your husband and wife may be unfaithful. Your friends may be unfaithful. Your government may be unfaithful. But God is never unfaithful. God is gracious. Whoa, we need the grace of God. God is love. God is eternal. God is one. God is wise, all wisdom. God is the creator. God is light. God is spirit. These are just what, some of the, what the Bible says about him. And what we learn by walking with him, as David had walked with him, a man after God's own heart, to do all his will. Why did, God wanna, why did David want to do all, God's will, all, all of God's will? It was because he knew who he was. He has some in, inclination an understanding of, of who he was serving. Consequently, he had the fear of the Lord. The degree you understand these attributes is often the, the degree you fear or respect God. And that fear, in, the, in whatever degree you have it, changes you. It will make you watch your words. It will make you temper your speech with grace. It will make you repel evil. It will help you to do good unto all men, especially them in the household of faith, the Bible says. It will help you to seek peace, as it says there, and pursue it. But only born-again people can do this. 
So the doorway to all of this is repenting of your sins and trusting by simple childlike faith the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior. Then he seals you with the Holy Spirit. Then he makes you a child of God. You're birthed into his family, adopted into his family, birthed into his family by his grace. And then all these things begin to open up to you as you grow. These people, by the way, who have been born from above are called the righteous in the Bible. Not because they inherently have any righteousness. No, no. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's no, none good. No, not one. We don't have any inherent righteousness. God doesn't look at you and say, you got a little flame of righteousness, a little flicker of righteousness in you, so consequently he's going he's gonna to make it bigger. When God looked at me, he saw no righteousness. He saw a sinner unable to save himself by any amount of good works. I wouldn't even be able to do good works in his definition. And when I cried, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, he birthed me into his family by his grace through simple childlike faith. Added my name to the Lamb's book of life. And hundreds of other great things come in my way because of him. Because of him. I have never earned, I do not earn it and, and uh, have no way that I deserve it. But through repentance and faith, I received it as a gift. To make it sure, he sealed me with the Holy Spirit on the day of redemption. He would have begun a good work in you, will perform it under the day of, under the day of Jesus Christ. So the first point is, do you have the fear of the Lord? Do you have it? The second point is God's special attention to the righteous. If you have the fear of the Lord, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, if you begin to understand who He is and you're seeking Him, then God says there's certain reward to doing this. In this psalm, it lists it. Let's read it together in verse 15 through 22 real quickly. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and His ears are open unto their cry. Woohoo! The face of the Lord is against them to do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all, how many? All their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and save with such of a contrite spirit. Many, how many? Many of the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them out of them all. He keepeth all these bones, not one of them is broken. By the way, you can't keep yourself from breaking a bone, as the Jensen's have found. You'll be walking around, step on something, boom, you broke your bone. It can happen anytime, anywhere, any place. You can go out of here, try to open your door, boom, something stripped, you fall down and break something. I've never broken a bone. How many in here have never had a bone broken? It's by grace of God. It's not because you're real agile or because you're super smart or because you have, it's only by the grace of God. I've seen people break bones. It always makes me like, oh, I mean, you know, when your foot's twisted like that and when your bone's sticking out of the skin, stuff like that bothers me. Wow. Many of the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them out of all. That was the favorite verse of Andy Anderson at Community Baptist Church. 
He keepeth all his bones. None of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked. And they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. I feel sorry for liberals. I don't hate them. I feel sorry for them. For what they believe will slay them. The philosophy that they have will destroy them. That's what it says. And the Lord redeemeth the soul of His servants, and none of them that trust in Him, the last three words, shall be desolate. None of them that trust in Him shall be desolate. So, I ask the question, how does God especially pay attention to the righteous? How does He do it? Well, I listed a few things here in review. Number one, He sees what they are going through. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. He sees what they're going through. God, you may be here and say, God don't care about me. He don't know about me. The way I feel like I'm just abandoned. I feel like an orphan abandoned. Don't feel that way. It's against the truth. Believe the truth. Cast out the lies. Cast out what you feel. Have you ever come to the conclusion what you feel is not always right? How many people get up on Monday and go to work, you don't feel like going to work, but you do it anyway? Your feelings were lying to you. They were saying if you laid in bed here, it would be better off for you, but you know it's a lie. So you get up, and you shake yourself, and you smack yourself, you get in the shower, you go to work. At the end of the day, you're glad you got up and overcame your feelings. Amen. The feelings of fear and the feelings of despondency and the feelings of being attacked may want to overwhelm you. Cast them off by the grace of God. Why? His eyes are upon me. I like the song, His eyes are on the sparrow. His eyes are on the sparrow. The Bible says not one sparrow falls. We have a veterinarian in our presence. Not one sparrow falls without God's knowledge. You mean God cares about them little birds? He cares about them little birds? What do you mean He cares about them? He's the one been keeping them alive for 6,000 years. How in the world does a little bird like that keep reproducing? It's hunted by everything. It's eaten by everything. Chicken is eaten by almost everybody and everything out in the planet, yet there's probably more chickens than human beings. I just read that the other day. There's more than 7 billion chickens on the planet. I'm glad for that. Say amen. Hey, I'm for raising cows and raising chickens. Amen. Like a mother watches over her child's every move. I think a little wheelbarrow and, and Heather. Heather was the one on this side. And I think a little wheel, how she's with him all day and how her eyes are, you know, where's he? What tires a mother out having small children? What tires them out? Their eyes are always over. Their eyes are looking. If you have a pool, God have mercy. Don't have children have a pool. Fill the pool in with dirt. Grow flowers in it. 29 children. This is four months ago. 29 children already in Florida have drowned in pools. Those are 29 little sweet things. That your mother was I. Her eye was every. She was on him. She thought she was on him. She thought she was on him. But it only takes three, four minutes. But God's eye is upon us, and He's not going to be looking somewhere else. And He's not going to have His attention somewhere else. He does care about you. He's looking over you. Oh, it's bigger than that, though. It's bigger. 
He hears our prayers. That's number two. Found in verse 15 and 17. The eyes of the Lord upon the righteous. His ears are open unto our cry. And then verse 17, the righteous cry the Lord heareth and deliver them out of all, them tr all their troubles. So the ear of the Lord. Who knows the sound of a child's voice like a mother or a father, especially a mother? I see uh, your kid may be playing with 20, 30 other children. But if that child falls down and hurts itself or some other child picks on him uh, and that child yells out, doesn't even yell anything distinguishable, but yells out in pain or yells out in fear, the mother, boom, that's my kid. I have had kids in the nursery. Somehow they opened the door of the nursery and the yell of the kid went down the hallway, somehow got in this room, they were sitting towards the back, they already knew their kid was bad. That's why they sat towards the back for a quick escape. And they sat towards the back over there where Pam's at. And they heard the kid. And boom, the mother gets up, out the door, in the nursery. What's going on? I heard my kid cry. Well, yeah, yeah, you heard your kid cry. He's been crying for an hour. We have a great nursery. No. But I mean, the mother, man, they're attentive to the cry of their children. Now, not to what they say, but the voice. You think God's... You think you're a better parent than God. Somehow you got in your mind that you're a better mother than God is. You didn't hear the sermon, Motherhood of God, did you? God's a, God is not only a father, he's also a mother. He has, he has both instinct and a, and a mother, special love of a mother. Wow. Listen for... How many parents have I seen rescue a child from a fall or a wound because they listened to the voice? The Hebrew here is, is expressive, though. I looked the word up. The Hebrew word for uh, the child crying, the Lord hears, it, it, it's, it, here's what it means. Let's say I want to hear what Nick Carbon's got to say. He's inviting me to a fishing trip when the, when, when the weather's good. I go like this when Nick talks. When Nick talks, Bill listens. And if I can't hear him from there, I go like this. Oh, what was that again, Nick? Wait a minute, Nick. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. When are we going? Okay, so Nick says, what I'm saying is the word means leaning into it. It's the way I've got to lean into when you guys mumble. When you guys mumble to me, instead of speaking out and forthright, and you know, you're, I go, what was that again? What was that again? What was that again? People keep saying, you need some hearing aids. You need hearing I haven't seen any money. No, do not give me money for hearing aids. You hear that's recorded. Do not give me money for hearing aids. I go like this. What was that? When my wife talks, I lean towards her. I put my, This is my bad ear, good ear. I put my good ear towards her. She knows I really like what she's saying when I put my bad ear towards her. By the way, when I'm driving my truck, this is the side she sits on. She gets frustrated with me. Can you imagine? The Lord hears us. He's for us. He's leaning. Literally, when you cry to God, God's leaning towards you. He wants to hear what you say. The third thing, God's for us. Look in verse 16. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Listen, the fact that he's against evil means he's for us. 
Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, if God be for us, who can be against us? Good question. The fact that he is against those who do evil and destroys them means that's half the equation. Many in persecution through the centuries have found comfort in this verse. God is against our enemies. We have enemies. Christians, we have seen manifested in the last eight months uh, the enemies of the local church. We've seen despotism, dictatorship in the name of health and welfare. And we've seen them shut churches down. Never in my life would I... There's no wiggle room for the separation of church and state. There's no health concern for the separation of church and state. We worship God based on His desire for us to come and to worship. We're told not to forsake ourselves something together. I feel He can keep us alive if we follow His will. God will take care of you. Fourthly, God is closer than we think. Look in verse 18. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and save us such of a contrite spirit. We go through what we grow through and it breaks our heart. We become contrite and broken and God's right there. He, he is nigh. He's close to you. In verse 19, God is there to deliver us when appropriate. Look in verse 19. Many afflictions are righteous, but the Lord delivereth them out of them all. No one gets a rose garden without the thorns. Many. Listen, nowhere in the Bible does the Bible, does the God promise you as you get saved, things are going to just be wonderful. Your health's going to be good. Your wealth's going to be good. All your friends will be good to you. All your relatives will like you. You know that's not possible. We, in this world, just because we get born again, what that does is that we get to go through this old world with somebody. We get to go through this world who has these eyes on us, who has these ears on us, who has attention, paying attention to us, leaning into it, as it were. Wow. God is there to deliver us, too. He'll help us. His presence is nigh. His deliverance is sure. Look in verse 20. God will preserve us as He has His Word. We cannot do this without Him. We need Him to help us through the pitfalls. We don't even know what the pitfalls are. God says, I'll help you through them. He keepeth all His bones, not one of them is broken. And then lastly, God is our final reward. Verse 21, 22, Evil shall say the wicked, they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of the servants, and none of them that trusteth in Him shall be desolate. I looked the word desolate up. It means a state of bleak, dismal emptiness. That's bad. Bleak, dismal emptiness. Barren from all value. When the wicked come to their end, there's nothing for them. They enter into a bleak, dismal, empty, barren of value future. There's nothing left. But then on the other hand, when the righteous go to God and leave this old world, not one of them will be found desolate. Even, if you want to put it this way, the most immature Christian is going to have the reward of eternal life. 
Even those who are saved as by fire are still going to be able to be in a place called heaven. I mean, not one that trusts Jesus as their Savior is going to be found desolate. Oh, dear one, all I can say, if you don't know Christ, know Him today. Come to Him today. Cry out today. He'll hear you. He wants to save you and make you His own. Father, I pray that You'd comfort Your people, help Your people. Whatever happens this coming Tuesday, give us wisdom from above to trust You all the way home. We know that You care about us. We know that you're for us. We know that you'll deliver us from our enemies. And that, Lord God, you'll make it where we're not desolate. Help us, we pray. There may be some in this room without Christ as their personal Savior. You've never trusted him. You don't know if you die, you go to heaven. You may have been religious. You may have been confirmed. You may have been baptized somewhere. But truthfully, you do not know what it means to have eternal life as a possession. You do not know what it means to walk with God to have the fear of the Lord. Why not today? Why don't you say today I want to know? We'd love to be able to show you in the Bible what it means to be saved, know Christ, pray with you. Just pray with you and help you along this journey. Maybe you're a Christian and the fear, the fear is wanting to overwhelm you. Anxiety. Maybe I've known people that are anxious and troubled and Biting their nails, as it were. What's going on? Hey, it's bad things are happening in our society, no doubt. But we serve a risen Savior who's in the world today. Father, help us, we pray. We cry unto you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com. Or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church, Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.